thanks to our sponsor, ShareGate. Microsoft Teams can be a great tool for your organization. That is, before your users make your environment messier than eating a hard shell taco. And that's where ShareCake comes in. Their user-friendly tools automate the tedious daily tasks involved in migrating, managing, and securing Microsoft Teams so that you can maintain a safe and productive environment without locking it down. Head over to ShareGate.com for your free 30-day trial and transform the way that you manage your Microsoft Teams. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 448. Today, AC and I are going to talk about our take on the state of Microsoft Azure. Recorded live, February 20th, 2022. This episode is brought to you by Raygun. Are you under increasing pressure to ship code faster than ever before? Then it's time to work smarter with Raygun's modern approach to error and performance monitoring. Raygun gives you instant visibility into the health of your software. And what makes it so unique is that not only does it tell you when something's gone wrong, it shows you exactly where it's gone wrong and how to fix it, right down to the line of code. Made by developers for developers, Raygun has built a suite of monitoring tools that are used and loved by thousands of software teams every single day. Monitor every corner of your tech stack with widespread language support and native integrations with GitHub, Jira, Slack, Bitbucket, Octopus Deploy, and more for even greater visibility. Visit raygun.com to resolve issues faster and to deliver flawless digital experiences for your users. That's raygun.com to get started on your free 14-day trial with plans starting from as little as $4 a month. Back to the show. Good morning. Good morning, CJ. How are you this morning? Very well. We're doing this only a few days after recording our last episode. I'm away the week before this will come out, when we would have normally have recorded. Yeah. So we're doing this on the weekend before I go away. So yeah, we're. It's a little. I guess what's the right term? Like out of rhythm, on the yeah, recording out of band. for us. Out yeah. of band. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we we're recording this on a Sunday morning, and uh, of course. I was sitting in bed reading and AC, he texted me and be like, hey, are we still going to do this? <laughs> and it totally slipped my mind. So here we and are. Got to love time zones, right? You're sitting there and reading and I've already like, I've already run 12 miles, had my breakfast, got in a shower. I'm like, all right, man, let's get, let's get going with this. I'd like to take yeah. a nap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, I'm sorry. I'm between you and a nap. Nah, it's all good. It's all good. How no, about you? What's be- going on at your end of the... Of the uh, tubes. Man, we did a first uh, college tour for my son yesterday. He's rising senior in high school. So we did a, a little day trip to go check out a college. Really inspired by it. Had a lot of fun. And it's an intimidating process. All of you that have been through it with your kids, I know that you know what I mean. Those of you who are staring it down as you, CJ and I were talking, you really don't know what you're getting yourself into until, uh, right. <laughs> until you get yourself into it. But I don't know. I think the way I described it, I won't, I won't dwell on it for a bunch, but I will tell you that I think that lead, the last year of doing this process virtually, it's been a lot like doing taxes. You know it needs to be done. And so you've been working on it and you've been making progress on it, but it still has not been like the most exciting or enjoyable experience. And it really, that didn't really happen until yesterday when it started to get fun. So we had a good time. I'm looking forward to doing it to to uh, go and visit some more colleges with him and seeing what he likes. But you know, that's the big thing. Last time we talked, I did launch. I told you I launched a podcast for Voitanos and the redo the uh, Voitanos or the Voitanos yeah. YouTube channel, yeah. and uh, it went well. But I found I did have one story I thought was really funny was that in the whole process of like taking a podcast and publishing it to all those different services where you can host a show or get it delivered, like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, et cetera. Yeah. Of like the nine different 
places that I published it or seven, whatever it was, the one that was the slowest in getting it through their process and getting it to work specifically around indexing the feed for the show and then getting it to show up in the search results was the one that I never expected to have the most problem with. And that was Google. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Kind of ironic, isn't it? (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. You had to like force it to index it and to put a specific request in to index a certain file. And then even after that got done, it still took a day or two for them to let me know that, oh, now it's available in the, uh, in the index. It's like, really? I mean, wow. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. The mind boggles. Yeah, exactly. So how about you? This weekend, I've actually been doing a little bit of coding, working on a little sort of interest project, banging out some code. So um, not a lot, but a little bit. And man, you know, you get really rusty super fast, right? Mm. And so I'm having to stack overflow up a storm on quite a few topics, everything from like entity framework and dependency injection and messaging, like I'm using 0MQ as a message bus for sort of a message, but inter-process communication really for a few things. And you know, it's all things I've done before, but you're like, hold on, how do I do that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm having to go to Stack Overflow and being like, okay, so how do I define, like, you know, I'm using Entity Framework as my ORM, right? So I'm like, how do I deal with this for like, yeah, this type of relationship and whatnot? And um, it's pretty fun though, you know, and it only takes just a little bit of a, a push and you're like, oh yeah, now I remember. Yeah, and you kind yeah. of, you're back into figuring out how to do something. So that's been pretty fun. But um, I think I've mentioned before, I'm using JetBrains Rider as mm-hmm. the IDE and enjoying that and just just uh, yeah, catching up on new ways to do things in .NET and, um, and uh, cranking out some code. And then, you know, you write it a couple of times. You know, the first time is you just smash out what you think it's supposed to be. The second mm-hmm. time you actually, no, that's not very good. And then the third time you're like, actually, I did it completely wrong from the beginning. And <laughs> I really want to completely re-architect how this works. <laughs> I think I'm at step three. <laughs> There's a meme that I saw last night. Yeah, last night. It would totally be appropriate for you now. It's um, Obi-Wan Kenobi from the original Star Wars movie. And it said, you know, you're trying to figure out how, some, how to write some code and you go do a Google search and you're like, you find something on Google and it's like, okay, this is how I'm supposed to do it. And you start looking at it and going, as you start coding it, you're like, wait a minute, this looks familiar. And it's like, ah, oh, it's familiar because it's mine. Like, I totally forgot yeah. that I wrote this. <laughs> I, I had a moment like that, actually. I was um, I was figuring out how to do some Delta query stuff against oh, yeah. Graph. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I know the principles of it all. I want to go, I want to go actually write some Delta queries against it. And I was like, oh, I just wanted a quick reminder on like, how the tokens, you know, the return to like next and delta links and all that sort of stuff. And whether any of it had changed and what and how to do it through the SDK, through the C.NET SDK. And so I go looking it up. I'm like, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure I know where this comes. Click play on the video. Oh my God, it's AC. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So... All right. So I have a story about that as well. Eventually, we're going to get to the topic of the show. <laughs> so I did this as well. I had a, this was a couple of years ago. I was trying to figure something out. I think it was doing like batch requests with Graph. Oh, sorry, with Microsoft, with the REST API and Microsoft, with the SharePoint REST API. I was trying to figure out how to do batch requests and I could, something wasn't working. And so I go to the docs and I look at the docs and I'm like, oh God, that's right. The docs are so sparse here. The docs actually point to my blog post about this. I'm like, oh, I, that's right. I, 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 this isn't, <laughs> it doesn't cover what I actually need to get done. And so I'm trying to go, I'm looking at it, 
trying to find something and I find this post on Stack Overflow that was doing the asking the exact same thing that I was trying to figure out. I'm looking at it and I'm looking through all the, the responses and everything and I'm not paying attention. I'm doing a horrible job of paying attention to like what I'm looking at. I get all the way through this damn post and I could see that the person that was asking the post was just getting frustrated, but they weren't getting the answer that they needed. And you got to be kidding me. I'm the one that wrote the original post was trying to figure the damn thing out years before I'm looking for it again. I can't get an answer that I was actually looking for. And then finally, someone posts a link to say, go check out this. Out. I think that this is what you're looking for. It was back to my fucking blog post. <laughs> and I actually figured it out on my blog post. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like I went back and I even, so I'm sitting there like years later, I'm like, I'm going to go mark that guy's post or that answer as correct because it's pointing back to my own blog post. And yeah, so it I get, was. I like, get that for two things. That, two things that I've written blog posts about. One is about how to deal with an Azure VM that's also a domain controller with an expired administrator password and how to reset uh, it. Yep. Like you can't. Yeah. Anyway, that's one blog post that gets absolutely tons and tons of traffic. And I'm like, wow, there's a lot of people falling into this bucket. People <laughs> DCs and Azure that they can't get into for some reason. Test VMs, whatever. And then the second one is. Something about headless authentication against SharePoint yep. APIs. This yep. is before Graph existed and all this sort of stuff. And how to do, yeah, headless authentication when you want to write like a yeah, piece of code that, that doesn't have a user present and it needs to use, what's that? Oh, God, I've totally forgotten the name of the tokens. Anyway, and I still get pinged about that going, hey, is, you know, your zip file with the code sample isn't, isn't working or something like that. You're like, whoa, people still look for this stuff. Like this was not a decade ago, but pretty close. Actually, it this. probably was a decade ago. Yeah. I have the same put when I relaunched my personal site, or relaunched andrewcon.com uh, a couple of weeks ago. I went back, spent a lot of time, did the whole like Google Analytics, upgraded it to the V4 analytics and Look at the most traffic posts. And it's, of course, like the three or four most traffic posts are things that are the oldest things that are on my site, stuff that people should not be doing anymore. And you look at it just going like, you know, if I'm getting that much traffic about creating timer jobs. Maybe I should just go back and write a course on how to do custom timer jobs and sell it to people who are doing <laughs> SharePoint 2007 because there's still interest in it. So I can still squeeze some blood out of that stone, even though they shouldn't be doing it today. But I'm like, you know what? I mean, so... between. Between features with a capital F, timer jobs, ONET XMLs, and uh, site definitions, you'd make them. You'd make mega bucks. Yeah. Oh, it was it was a post on that, <laughs> and it was a post on how to modify your ONET file and site definitions to make your links show open up in a new window instead of the same window. Wow! Wow! Oh my god! Old yeah. School. Yeah. So nice. Hey, so speaking of old school, <laughs> Azure. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> So it's officially an old school product and we're going to dive into why and talk a bit about the state of Azure in a moment. This episode is sponsored by Orchestry. Don't be fooled. Microsoft Teams and SharePoint are difficult. Microsoft Teams, when simply turned on, can be unruly and yield endless sprawl. SharePoint causes constant frustration with user interface and permissioning challenges. End the chaos and harness the full power of Microsoft Teams, SharePoint Online, and Microsoft 365 with Orchestry. 
Orchestry is the work-made simple platform that empowers end users through controlled self-service provisioning while delivering the actionable insights and lifecycle management your IT administrators need to enable remote and hybrid work productivity without locking down the powerful capabilities of Microsoft Teams and SharePoint Online. See why so many are claiming Orchestry to be the must-have Microsoft Teams management tool of 2021. Get your free access to Orchestry with full featured trial at orchestry.com and tell them the Microsoft Cloud Show sent you to get the all the friends of the show perks. And we're back. Okay, I see. I know I, I clickbaited before the ad break about Azure being old school, but did you know that, I, I guess you were probably at this PDC, and in fact, I'm pretty sure it was at that PDC that I met you. I think was, so too. October 27th, 2008 was PDC 09. Remember the, when they used to call conferences like the mm-hmm. year ahead of when they were? Yep. Uh, Los Angeles, not, not Anaheim, yep. Los Angeles. Yes, Staples. correct. It was yeah, near the Staples Center. Yeah. Yeah. It was yep. near there, I think. Mm-hmm. October 27th, 2008, over 13 years ago, was PDC 2009, where Ray Ozzie introduced the world to what ultimately became... Microsoft Azure, but at the time was Windows Azure, I believe it was called. Yep. And internally, it came from a project called Co- uh, Project Red Dog. And remember Ray Ozzie? He was the Lotus Notes guy that became the the Groove guy. Yeah, that Groove. Became, that when Groove got acquired by Microsoft, he came to Microsoft and ultimately was sort of the the brains behind, or the I guess the motivation and brains behind starting cloud computing at Microsoft. And yep. In Azure, right? There was still things going on around like, oh gosh, what was the acronym for before Office 365? There was oh, BPOS oh, yeah. and like the managed desktop stuff. And so there was a few bits and pieces, a little bit of cloud dabbling going on, but Azure was like the first big sort of foray. Um, yeah, that was the same same keynote when he put on the slide that was the, uh, uh, what was it? The Windows SharePoint services was going to be Azure like, SharePoint services. Yeah, exactly. Like SharePoint was. was really going to be a cloud service. And the yeah. whole SharePoint people were like, what? I don't think that work for Microsoft that we're doing SharePoint. We're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Up and I were standing at the back of the room at that keynote, standing room only keynote. We watched him introduce Azure and all this, and he went through it all. Then it came up a slide, and he started talking about Azure SharePoint services. And we were just like, what the heck is that? <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Yeah, we were, we were, very, we were very like, oh, okay, cool. We're yeah. going to the cloud. So uh, obviously that didn't quite transpire. Actually, that was interesting because he had this thought. We've later found out that his idea on this was it's just going to be a bunch of APIs that does SharePoint stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you just... There's going to be these services, these API services. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you fast forward a little bit to now, right, there's still obviously SharePoint sites and all that, still pretty heavily used. But when you think about like OneDrive, for example, mm-hmm. and that now for all intents and purposes and lists, for example, these mm-hmm. are apps just sort of built on APIs that ultimately are built on SharePoint underneath the covers. Yeah, but all kind of interesting. Yeah, it's funny because it was like that keynote. There's so as as we're going to get into this, it was very much a, it was very much like way before its time, right? It was a great vision, but as we, as you and I like as we'll give our two take on our two cents on it, it was very much before its time and was almost like jumping the cart before the horse. Definitely. Like, looking back at it, that's def. It was not the case at the time. We didn't see it that way at all. But looking back at it, it's like, uh, yeah, actually, that yeah. that actually looks like that's what happened. Yep, exactly. So it started off being, I mean, I went to the hands-on labs 
which were in hot demand, right? Mm. And you could get a some sort of token or something that let you sign up for some for some Azure and you could get on and do a hands-on lab. But remember the whole portal was like built in Silverlight. Yep. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. And and you had to you had to make these packages and you built your app and packaged them with Visual Studio. Mm-hmm. And then you published your package through the Silverlight app and uploaded your package and that would create these little things with boxes that were like mm-hmm. your compute units and that's where your app was deployed. Mm-hmm. And it was um so it was very, very focused on platform as a service or PaaS, right? Where there were just APIs available and you uploaded your app and it sort of magically ran. Mm-hmm. And that was Rousey's whole deal was why would you just want to shift this crappy on-prem infrastructure up to the cloud? Why wouldn't you want to build this new, new place to run applications in this mm-hmm. new way? And um, he was right. <laughs> just probably 10 years before his time or before it became useful to a lot of companies. His pitch worked, right? The pitch worked in the sense of Paz is the future. And I understand at the time, you know, looking back at it, and I don't think that's this is just us in the Microsoft world, but I thought it was a lot of us that were starting to grasp and grapple with this whole Paz idea or cloud, cloud concept is that you know, PaaS made sense, right? One of the things that we were all struggling with, that we were all dealing with at the time was having to feed and water our servers and having to maintain and build up data centers and all that kind of stuff. And I think that, you know, that was the stressor of just like, yeah, we we get this. It was hard to visualize, you know, somebody or hard to really comprehend one of these big, as we what we see now is the public cloud companies between Microsoft and Amazon and Google and Oracle and seeing those guys and seeing that, hey, the number of data centers that we're going to have to have around the world and the amount of bandwidth we're going to have to have to be able to make this stuff work. It was hard, at least for a lot of people I talked to, it was very hard to kind of see the future that that's where things were going. But I think that the thing that where what it didn't really grasp, where that did hold Microsoft back and that did let Amazon really take the lead for a while well, and like you'd argue, easily argue that they still have the lead, is that there was, well, that's why we could see that that's where the future was. It wasn't a realistic future from yeah. here's where we are today and here's where we have to get to. There was no bridge. They had the pitch, but they didn't have the bridge from today to get to that future. And I think that that's, that was probably, if, if you look back and you could say like, where did Azure have a misstep? I mean, it's wildly successful today, but if you if you look back and say, there's one thing we wish we could have changed with it to be more successful or to be like the leader today. I think that's probably the one thing is like having that bridge pitch would have been something a little bit better to lead with. Absolutely. I mean, that put them on a massive back foot early on against the likes of AWS, right? That was, so AWS launched in, well, really 2006, which was the cloud computing part, but Microsoft was either 2002 or 2006, depending on where you start, where you start counting from. But when you think about it like that, from, you know, anywhere from a three-year to say five-year head start that AWS had. Mm -hmm. And then you add on to that, that the misstep, I guess, let's just call it a misstep around IaaS and PaaS that Azure made early on. And, you know, AWS definitely had a five-year lead somewhere, Mm -hmm. you know, five to six to seven year, maybe somewhere like that, which mm-hmm. is a huge amount of time, right? And it still, it still has, the ripples of that are still very visible today. And we'll, we'll talk into some of those, we'll, we'll talk about some of those as we go through this, but you know, that, that lead is really what solidified Azure as 
a number two against AWS for the next what will be sort of 15 years or so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you can just see that that still is true today. I mean, when you look at AWS, the last time that this was actually looked at. Now, of course, this is a this is an old number. This is you know six years old. But you know, looking back in like 2017, was it Synergy Group or Synergy Group did a study that said AWS had 33% of all cloud stuff, all cloud investments. Well, the next two competitors are Azure with 18% and Google with 9%. Hmm. So, I mean, you saw that, I mean, that was almost double. AWS just six years, five years ago was double what Azure was in terms of like the total business. Now, again, that was five years ago. And yeah. a lot of stuff has happened in the public cloud in the last, you know, in the last couple of years, but especially in the last two years with the pandemic. So definitely a major reshuffling. That is definitely changing, right? And it depends on which part of the industry you're talking about. Yeah. So, you know, Azure is making massive strides in enterprise, right? They've got, you know, a lot of, most of their growth is coming from enterprise. But AWS has all the big name startups, right? Or startups that have turned into huge unicorns and beyond. Not all of them, but quite a few of them, right? And have, and have sort of have, uh, have always been the place that startups go to start you know, uh, versus Azure. Whereas Azure is sort of seen as the, oh yeah, that's the serious sort of enterprise Microsoft shop computing platform that you naturally go to if you're a Microsoft shop. That's been hard for Microsoft to shake. I, like they haven't shaken that in my view. Yeah, they're seen, I agree with you there. I, I wouldn't say that they're, I guess I would, only thing I would take exception to what you said is that seeing as like the, where you go is the Microsoft shop option. And I think that's definitely true, but I think what's more I think that's looking at a little bit, looking at it a little bit bigger, you know, because we have the stats today where Linux is the predominant uh, VM that's running on in Microsoft Azure over Windows VMs. Yeah, I think that today it's people look at Microsoft as or as Azure as the enterprise cloud, and that's how it's really pitched and sold. Whereas AWS is we're that, but we are also the startup, yeah. the independent the non-Microsoft cloud, we do everything. Whereas it really is looked at, I think that Azure, I, look, I get there's plenty of startups that are on Azure, but as you and I will talk about in terms of our wishes, point one point in this, in this episode, and that's not where the majority of the startups are going to look. Maybe the people who are listening to this podcast because they're mostly in the Microsoft world, you're going to think Azure first. But when you go to anywhere to any kind of like startup thing outside of that, I mean, that's where all, everyone goes to AWS. No one goes to Azure for the most yeah. part. Oh, definitely. That's completely fair. I um, yeah, I think back at those early days and that that how much of a back foot it put Microsoft on. A, a starting a little late, but also having that misstep at the beginning around IaaS versus PaaS and how that how that ripples through and how much of an effect it's had. It's hard to measure, but it just feels like you know it it feels like it is responsible for a lot of the the position we see in we see Azure and in, in today. Yeah, it is. I, I, I agree with you. And, you know, I, it just kind of occurred to me, I don't think there were, um, I think we're kind of beating around saying something, but we haven't actually said it yet. But the difference is, is that Microsoft Azure, they led with PaaS. And yep. then they realized that, oh, we need to have a bigger IaaS investment, a more infrastructure investment, virtual machines, containers, all that kind of stuff and everything. But, and then they were able to start pivoting more on going with PaaS. So we talked about this in the pre-show, but the difference that you and I see is that on for AWS, they didn't lead with PaaS. I mean, they did a little bit with some web services based stuff, but 
for the most part, they led with with IaaS. They led with a VM story. They led with being like the, the virtual machine story for everyone. And basically, all people were doing was just lift and shift, go to IaaS. It was easier to stand up machines than it was to buy them themselves and stand up machines. And so they weren't building, they weren't doing like cloud architecture. They were just doing cloud EVMs is all is really the only difference that was going on where Microsoft was really trying to change the game and saying, no, 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 cloud architecture, let's do PaaS. This is the way you're supposed to do it. I get it, but getting everybody to rebuild everything, that wasn't going to happen overnight. And that's the bridge that we think that at least that we think that that, that Microsoft missed the boat on and what allowed AWS to really take over things or to really take the lead. They were able to let people just say, look, you want to just lift and shift and you want to take what you currently have right now that's deployed in your different on your servers. You can shut down your data centers. You can lift and shift it into VMs that we maintain yeah. and that we run and we deal with the infrastructure side. And then you can start to do go from IaaS. Now you can start doing PaaS and you can doing things that are more architected in that way. You still see lots of people that are lots of very large companies that are not cloud oriented, like cloud native based companies but they're still doing everything in AWS because they're all based on VMs. They're not based on full PaaS services. Yeah, fair. You know, it was interesting. I was just looking up the date that Ray Ozzie left Microsoft. He left on October 18th, 2010, which is almost to the day, give or take, two years after that PDC announcement. And I also kind of feel like it coincides roughly with being told, yeah, this whole vision of of PaaS only is not working out for us. Yeah. <laughs> We've got to go down the IaaS route or infrastructure as a service route. And he was like, cool, peace out. I'm yep. not in- interested, in, interested in lift and shifting old stuff. I want to build a new platform for the future. So he left in October 18, 2010. And, and it just feels like that's when Microsoft started going, actually, no, we're going to allow you to do VMs. <laughs> yeah. We're allowing you to do VMs. We're really going to level up on it. And now, I mean, that's, you see, that's like so much stuff is based on it. And it, you know, it makes, it makes sense. It, it makes sense when you look back at it. Now, Microsoft is caught up. You know, they fixed that problem. They have a very good VM story. They have a very good IS story yeah. with it. But that is, for companies that are trying to migrate to the cloud, that is like one of the easiest things for them to do is just like lift and shift. Let's go with VMs. Not rebuild all your apps. Right. Yeah. Right. But so now what's interesting is, is so yeah, Azure started off back in 2008, purely PaaS. They had that misstep. A couple of years later, they started doing IaaS. They did VMs and storage and yada, 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 all that stuff, networking and all the bits you need for lifting a, lifting a machine from on-prem up into the cloud. And now what we're seeing is everything's come full circle again, mm-hmm. right? So sure, they've got all the IaaS stuff buttoned up. They're still investing in that. And it's still a huge, huge component of the pieces of the puzzle. But now we're starting to see flavor of the, flavor of the, not year, what half decade, whatever the name for that is, Right. Flavor of the half decade has all come back to pairs, right? With things like containerization and Kubernetes and services that you consume from your app to build your app as opposed to relying on bare metal or a VM type uh, hardware infrastructure underneath. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, these, these managed services around container, containerized apps are, uh, are the new way to build apps. And that's actually happening in other vendors as well, right? Google. Google is all about Kubernetes and AWS has a whole bunch of those services too. And so those other providers have come around to the PaaS bandwagon. Microsoft's back on the PaaS bandwagon. And so ultimately, Ray Ozzy's vision of, of PaaS ultimately will probably come to pass, albeit 13 years late. 
<laughs> I mean, yes, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's a difference between, you know, to me, it's like, and I get that Ray Ozzy was not, he was a businessman. I mean, he ran, he ran Groove. He was heavily involved in, in Lotus Notes as well. I mean, it was just, or Notes. He was, I'm not saying he wasn't, but he was more of a visionary. He was more, he definitely had much more of a visionary kind of tap to him instead of it being the whole business side of it. And I think that that's the difference that you see from Microsoft and AWS here is that the, AWS's cloud story seemed much more business grounded, right? In terms of growth and how to get there with organizations. Whereas on the Microsoft side, it seemed much more, much more visionary style. And it's like, and not as grounded on the business side. Yeah. So, and that's, it took a while for them to come around to it. Thankfully it didn't kill them. Thankfully it didn't kill the effort. It just took a while for them to come around. So, I mean, is what it is. So you know? let's, yeah. let's, I want to leave you with one, one quote from Ray Ozzy before we move on to, from the past to the present with Azure and talk about the current state of it. He wrote a 5,000 word internal memo back in 2005, I think it was, called the Internet Services Disruption. And a quote from it is, it's clear that if we fail to do so, our business as we know it is at risk and we res must respond quickly and decisively. So, and that was the beginning of Azure. Hmm. So that's how it all started. Why don't we fast forward to where we are today and talk about some of the current state of it. You're harking back to where it's come from, obviously, but um, yeah, where, it's, where it has landed in 2022 versus back then and the current state of, of bits and pieces. So with that in mind, any thoughts on how far things have come and where we're currently at? Yeah. Wow. It's been such a huge, <laughs> it's such a huge question. Right. I mean, I, I guess just to start off, I'm very, I'm very happy as an Azure customer. I'm very pleased with, it. I don't really have much of a complaint at all. Anything that I would have is mostly around things that I wish that we had, like wishes, feature wishes, stuff that I would like. But I mean, I've also seen a lot of improvements in the last couple of years of the things that I have. Like I, in leading up to this show, I, st I was trying to go through and you know take a couple notes on, God, I wish they would do this. And I, I found that I didn't really have anything. I didn't really have much of I wish, I wish. It was more from the outside of, I guess you could say I'm rooting for them to do certain things that I think would be really good for Azure and really good for companies as a whole. Stuff that I've talked about recently on the show, but I'll repeat them in this episode. I just think that there are opportunities that could be left on the table that I would love to see them address that would be good for customers. So there's things like one of the fears that I have with, with Azure is around its such centralized dependency on in the Azure space, that's around Azure AD. Reliability has gotten better. It has gotten a lot better lately. We don't have the outages. Of course, this is probably going to come back to bite me later on this week when we have some sort of a big outage, I'm sure. But <laughs> you don't see those outages, the, the identity outages in Azure. I haven't seen them like we've seen them in the uh, in 2021 and years before that. It's been pretty stable the last, you know, for a while. But that's always a fear on the AWS side. You know, they've got their Achilles heel is S3. And Google's got theirs as well in the networking, uh, it seems like in the networking space. But I think that the things, the, the big thing that I wanted to, that I really want to see from Azure, that I would love, that it would give me, just give me the warm fuzzies. It's two things. Is one, 
I would love to see them do have much more of a, a focus around embracing the mainframe modernization opportunity. It's not an area that I play in. It's an area that I pay attention to because I got friends that are in that area. And it just seems to me like AWS has a much better story going forward. And it seems it does seem like an area of a lot of potential growth for, yeah. for Azure. Here's an interesting stat that I saw the other day. Azure does over a billion dollars on SAP workloads. Wow. Right? So thinking about wow. that, how it relates to a mainframe, right? Imagine how many mainframes are sitting around, kicking around in, in uh, the world still, and the value that could be brought to shifting those up into the cloud mm-hmm. in the same way people are doing that with SAP. Admittedly, mm-hmm. there's probably more SAP in the world than there is mainframes, but maybe not in terms of dollars, but in terms of installs for sure. But yeah, it's, it, there's definitely value there for sure. To me, it's like the thing it, we're looking back at the exact same problem that we had before that we just went through. If you can help those people who are on mainframes do the lift and shift and then help them modernize their apps and being able to take advantage of past services that are there, basically provide an IaaS-based environment for those mainframe customers to help get them off of on-prem. That, to me, that's the big opportunity that they have that they haven't taken advantage of. And that's what, when I look over at AWS, that's what I see them doing. They're taking that exact approach. They are... Let's help you get the lift and shift to get that mainframe, you get those mainframe workloads up into AWS. Right. And then once you're there, now you can start taking advantage of things like AI and other PaaS-based services that you can start strangling your old application to eventually it's no longer a mainframe-based app. It's more or or service or whatever. It turns into being a more cloud native-based app that has evolved from the mainframe story. Right. The other big one for me that I'll have, and then I'll pitch it to you and I'll ask you the exact same question, is around, around the focus and the real energy around startups. It's not, I'm not saying that Azure does not have a startup story. They do have a startup story, but it's not one that people outside of the Microsoft space, they look to. Everyone looks to AWS. And I think that a lot of the reason that people look to AWS, when I look at the communities that I've been, the small business communities, that when they're, you know, people that are trying to spin up their own, their, their new SaaS offering, Everyone gravitates to AWS first. And why do they do that? Because they see the other unicorn companies that are coming out are all AWS based. They're all focused on AWS. And why is that? Well, to me, a lot of those big unicorn companies, they come out of things like Y Combinator. They come out of things like Startup School. And AWS caters to those different environments. And they give them things like a quarter million dollars of you know, services or discounted services. Because once you've built that app, and that's running inside AWS, your incentive to move that off, you're, it's going to be pretty damn sticky. And yeah. so when I'm a small business wanting to build something new, and I'm like, well, how did everybody else do it? Oh, they all went to AWS. Okay, I don't have to think about this much. I'm just going to trust what they did. I'm going to go in the same direction. And I see Azure missing the boat on that because sure. they, don't, they don't cater to those people. Definitely. I had an intern once at Microsoft who was fresh from college, right? Was interning with me. And um, I was talking to him about a bunch of... He didn't know much about Microsoft. And so we were talking bunch about different consumers, products and services and things we were talking about. And I was showing him Bing Maps and showing him like the the bird's eye view, which at the time Bing was the only one doing it, right? Where it was photogrammetry and, you know, they fly planes over cities and and take really high-res photos and and not the top-down satellite view, but the the sort of the 45-degree view. Mm-hmm. And he just turned to me one day. He was like, this is really good. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's really good, huh? And he's like, 
Microsoft should tell people about this. <laughs> and it was just the most from the mouths of babes kind of comment, yeah. right? It was like, yep, you're 100% right. Tell me about that. He's like, well, Google come to campus and they give us free food and T-shirts. And Microsoft never does that. And that was just a moment for me of like, holy smoke, right? Same deal with startups. I was about to make the point after your comment around startups. Microsoft has always struggled with startups and education. Yep. It never seems funded properly internally. There's no, because it's not a product at Microsoft, it's in one of those camps, both of those are in one of those camps where it's like all care, no responsibility or no authority. Yep. Right? They can't make products do things to be better suited for education or for startups. And so they're in this sort of this gray zone of influence and authority. And it's never really properly taken hold at Microsoft. They struggle to this day with startups and education. I got a, so how, I got a question for you. You've been at Microsoft. And my observation is that it's more at Microsoft, it's focused more on the marketing than it is on the doing and the education of it. Whereas so AWS for, you is You mean focused, for startups and education? Yeah. So like yeah. Microsoft is more on the marketing and being such a partner-led organization, they rely on their partners to go talk about their stuff and they were, and to sell their stuff. AWS, I don't know if it's not a partner-led organization. I know there's they have partners, but it's not so much partner-led. It's not where they started, no. Yeah. And so and Microsoft it, DNA is all partner-led for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean they're I mean that's a that's a to me that's a very distinct difference. Google's definitely not partner-led. I would say, going back to my comment about it not being a product, a lot of the startup and education efforts that Microsoft do are marketing-led, right? Mm -hmm. So they'll create a little group, maybe usually within product teams, within the marketing organizations for those products. And they'll go, okay, cool. We get, like there was one for OneNote, right? OneNote's pretty big in education. Anyway, but it, it seems very siloed, right? And they've had, they've had attempts at bringing that all together, right? So there's the startups organization at Microsoft that purely focuses on startups, but because it's not a product, they can't make the product groups do what they need to be, you know, really attractive to startups into the ED, into the, in the, and in, and in the EDU space. And so it's sort of this, like I said, this gray zone, it sort of falls between the cracks. And so it's not a, it's not a product initiative. Mm -hmm. And that just doesn't gain traction at Microsoft for whatever reason. And so it's, it doesn't feel that way with AWS. AWS feels extremely startup oriented. Yeah. It, I don't know it, if that's accurate. That's just how it feels to me. Yeah. Well, so I have friends at AWS and I have friends at Google and I have friends at Microsoft. For a decade, I've done a significant amount of content work for the marketing groups and some of the engineering groups. So I've done a significant amount of content work for Microsoft. But when I talk to my friends at AWS and I explain to them, like, you know, here's the stuff that I've done. They know the stuff that I've done. I mean, people in, you know, VP level organization levels. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, if you guys ever needed like, you know, like content based, just to, for me, just to get exposure into different places, like that's the best way for me to find, to find stuff is to try and teach it. Then you've, you've really got to know it. And so I find that as like an opportunity to not only get paid to learn, but I get, you know, actually get exposure to something new, which I mean, it did, that satisfies a, a, like a personal like hole that I always have that just like, how does it get me interested? Yeah. And the answer is always like, yeah, we don't, we don't do that. We don't focus right. on that. I'm like, right. And it, it's always kind of surprised me 
because it's not what I know. It's not what my experience is in the from the Microsoft world. And I wonder if that's something that that does hold them back. I wonder if that is that something that, that instead of Microsoft owning the messaging as much or or having such a focus on trying to just market the service instead of just trying to go straight to the source of just like, hey, we're you know we don't need to sell. I don't need to sell you Azure. I don't need to sell you AWS. What I need to do is I just need to give you credits. You know you want to use it. I just need to give it to you and to be able to build your app on it, make it easier for you to build your app and give you the resources to build your app. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think I mean, part I of be- it is Microsoft's structure internally about which roles do what stuff. So like product management at Microsoft is a marketing function. Mm-hmm. Program management is an engineering function. And historically, product management has done a lot of the outbound stuff, right? Dealing with communities and developers and whatnot. And program management hasn't. Now that's changing over time, but it's still largely true to this day. Mm-hmm. Mostly true to this day. And so, yeah, who creates training materials and all of that stuff? It's the marketing arm of the organization at Microsoft, not the engineering arm. Mm-hmm. And so I think some of those disconnects are due to that structure. Sure. Yeah. We're dissecting why Microsoft works and AWS doesn't for, for oh, sorry, why Microsoft doesn't work in some of these areas and why AWS does. That's interesting. Yeah. But overall, I mean, I don't want to make it my, I'm not trying to make the point of, you know, that Microsoft is losing to AWS or AWS is better than, than Azure. That's not at all what I'm trying to say. I think that this, like, I guess I'll just flat out say it, this is the title of the podcast. The state of Azure is very strong. It's in a very good place. It's in a very good place going forward with it. I see opportunities for them on places where they could grow. I'd love to know more about what their, what their story is going forward. I mean, it kind of feels like, that whole push that they've had in like the AI space in the last couple of years around what Microsoft calls their cognitive services, it doesn't have as much of a marketing push and as much as a, of a attention on it when we go when we look at conferences like Ignite and like and Build. Microsoft wants to talk more about their you know metaverse stuff because that's the buzzword kind of stuff what the media is kind of picking up. But from the people who are actually getting stuff done, I'd like to know more about. Not to kind of feel like, you know, hey, is this is this still a thing? Is this whole like cognitive services thing? Is this still a thing? Are you guys still investing in this? Is this is this a growth area? And it when you start to peel back the onion, it sure looks like it. But when you watch one of these, you know, keynotes from a conference, it's like, no, nah, it's not what you're it doesn't seem like that's the interesting yeah. thing that you're really focusing on. So I'm kind of like, what's the where where you really want to go? Bring back PDC slash build. Oh my God. Bring back the way it was, like the real developer stuff. Yeah, exactly, exactly. On your point about AWS and Microsoft, Microsoft is an extremely strong position and growing. And one of the reasons I think is, you know, part of the reason is trust of Microsoft is at an all-time high, right? Mm -hmm. That as a company, I don't think Microsoft has been more trusted, especially not in the 90s, you know, the rough period they went through. So I think Microsoft as an enterprise company is extremely well-trusted. I think a lot of companies are also competing with Amazon and in all the different areas, right? There's the retail side of it, but there's also the content services side of it, right? With Prime Video and all that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of companies that find themselves now in competition with Amazon, but not in competition with Microsoft. Right. I think that is certainly helping Microsoft to a certain degree uh, Mm -hmm. as well. There's a few things I think notes I'd make about the current state of Azure that I would love to see sort of Azure tackle Definitely one of them that you mentioned is the startup. I think we've beaten that to death about startups and education, I think are two huge areas that Microsoft could vastly improve on. They definitely suck in that area right now. And they're really just trying to sort of 
I don't know, say they do stuff with it, but it's really... They check a box. Yeah, they check a box. And even then when you try to check the box, it's really hard to check the box. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know if you've ever gone through trying to sign up for anything to do with startups with Azure. It's like, oh, God, it just makes it really hard. Anyway, yep. so startups and EDU talked a bunch about that. I think there's a huge opportunity for more cohesion between M365 slash Office 365 and Azure. So really the only the only bit that you sort of see from the outside is this the sort of the central point around Azure AD, right? Not really much around storage and and things like that. And I think there's quite a lot they could do about bringing some of that cohesion between those two different cloud universes. Right? So, I don't know, everything from storage through to where you stick data, like how you handle how you handle it from like a, you know, Discovery and you know, e-discovery and compliance perspective through to security. There just seems like these two spheres worlds that are a bit different. And I think Microsoft has a big opportunity to not bring the products together, but bring a bit of cohesion between those two different cloud universes, right? Yeah. I'd like to see some work done on that. I think that the developer Microsoft is a in a unique position or a highly differentiated position to completely change the way development for the cloud works. Most of the open source world and the AWS world is very much kind of how things are done today, right? Azure has a unique opportunity to completely change that. And so I'd love to see more work around when I'm developing on my desktop, I don't need local emulators and local compute stuff and Docker running on my own thing. Like I just want to be able to push a button and connect to my cloud dev environment and just be devving, but Mm -hmm. with all the cloud services at my disposal. No manual work to wire stuff up. Right right now, I do this for myself, right? I try not to use local emulators for things. I go create I go create a subscription and a resource group and create the cloud services I need just for my development. But Microsoft has the tool chain with Visual Studio Code and Visual Studio and whatnot to be able to completely connect these worlds. And they've, they started to try and do this, we saw a few years ago, but it's sort of just didn't go anywhere that I've seen. So I'd love to see more of that stretching the developer's workstation into the cloud and bring some like just new ways of being a developer with with cloud services. That's a really good point. I haven't thought about it like that. And that's something, I mean, nobody does that. It's a, it, it would be being able to work like that and being able to, it's like there's no such thing as like a developer subscription or a production subscription with Azure, right? It's all, it's all production. It's just, that's more of an adjective, right? Yeah. So... It would be like to have some sort of a practice of being able to provide guidance to people of here's how you can use tags to tag the fact that stuff is going to be really just for dev or for playground or for whatever, but it's not really a production thing. So that when you're in the same subscription, while it comes out of the same cost, you know, the same payment structure, I'd like to know that, you know, hey, look, that resource group that I have as much is just as a playground place that I you can throw it away after whatever. And I know that Azure has that kind of a setup. They have the ability to do that. For me to be able to tag something as that and to have retention policies on things to where things are automatically thrown away after a certain amount of time. Or, you know, I can have a some sort of a label that says, you know, don't put production stuff in, inside of things that are tagged like this because that's it's supposed to be. It could be, be even around. simpler than that. You could just have a developer subscription, right? Where one person has access to it. It's just for one developer. And whenever you need to create things to make your app. It's just magically creating stuff in the background for you in Azure. You know, like if you need a service bus or if you need a database or if you need a Cosmos DB or whatever, 
you can create those things, but it's all between the thing that you're writing, you know, your code editor and where it runs. Like when you hit F5 or whatever you hit to debug, it's all running, but it's not running on your machine. It's running, Mm. you know, in a container in the cloud and you're doing remote debugging. And I know some of these pieces already exist. I just don't see it being a big push. Like why should I have to, this code that I'm writing right now is ultimately going to be in Azure. Why am I not just developing it in Azure? Like I'm developing Mm. it all on my local machine and trying to make it more Azure-y by connecting the right services in the right places. But I'd love, Microsoft's always been really good at tools. And I think they could, they have a lot of, uh, a lot to bring to bear on that. I think they historically have been really good at That's tools. right. That's right. I think the last couple of years, I mean, I love VS Code, but yep. beyond VS Code, I mean, they sat on their laurels for Visual Studio for the longest time. That's and true. They're, st- they're living on their reputation of being great for SDKs and documentation and tools. But if you really looked at it today, yep. it ends, I don't think it's nearly as good as it used to be. Yeah. I think, I, yeah, I totally think you're right. But I think where that has, where historically why they've been good at for developers and tools and tools and SDKs and things is they consider developers partners, right? The same way the rest of yeah. the company, they're a partner first organization. I'd love to see that's a refocus for sure. I think they've got a lot, a lot of a lot of weight to bring to bear on that. Asher's done a good job with the, I will tell you with the SDK side, this is the one thing that I did want to that I thought they'd done a great job with on this new push they've had over the last year or so about updating their SDKs. There's a whole site now that is just dedicated just to their SDKs. And you can filter it by the platform that you're using between .NET, Java, TypeScript, Python, C++, Embedded C, iOS, Android. And you can see, you know, between everything, the different libraries, management libraries, client libraries, or just everything, they've got columns that are just listed down. Here's the stable column. Here's the beta column. What's next coming? And it will talk about, you know, here's where you get it. NuGet. The current version for stable is 1.2.0. Here's where you get the code for the SDK. Here's where you get the docs for the SDK and the current support is active. That mm-hmm. kind of stuff, that's at azure.github.io slash Azure SDK, Azure-SDK. It's, I absolutely, I love this site. I've got this bookmarked to be able to see mm-hmm. what's the latest and greatest stuff that I have to make sure that it's available for me. That's cool. Mm-hmm. One final thing. This is pretty nitty picky. It's been a really long time since we've had a new portal. <laughs> and I hate the current one. <laughs> Mostly hate it. Yeah. The whole blade thing and whatnot. I, I know it's a very tactical kind of small thing, but man, I just find it super painful. So um, <laughs> I want a new portal. <laughs> I, you know, you hear that same thing with people. I mean, it's like, are you, I, I don't know if you've ever played with the AWS. They call the AWS console. It's, it's the same thing as Azure. It's like AWS portal. It's a lot worse than the Azure portal. I don't have, I don't have the, I know there's a lot of people who do not like the Azure portal. I don't have a dislike of it. I kind of accept what I get with it, but it's one of those things that's just, it could be better. It could be easier to use. I don't, I do, I definitely don't like this, this feel of how I, I feel like I'm always diving deep into something and having to come way back out to get back to something else and diving back deep and coming way. It just feels you can't like can't get back out. That's the problem. Once you're in deep and you need a piece of information from somewhere else, you can't get back out without yeah. kind of losing what you're currently working on. That's true. Anywho, I know it's kind of petty, but I want a new portal. And my final point, Azure has a bunch of complexity around subs and billing. How, you know, this is a whole topic in and of itself, but subscription, the subscriptions model is quite tricky to deal with. And especially if you're a small business or a dev and dealing with different subscriptions, the access and identity identity and access model to those subscriptions 
how they relate to resource groups, mostly at the subscription level. It's almost like subscriptions are often their own little universe, like that's its own little company. And anyway, so I think trying to manage a bunch of subscriptions all up from a billing perspective is mm-hmm. extremely tricky. So here's an example. You get billed to your, say, say you put a, you have a few different subscriptions, you get some credits on one, maybe through the startup program or whatnot, you get some free, or you've got the free Azure credits thing on some of them, you've got other subscriptions and you get a charge on your credit card. Mm. There is, it is like trying to walk on water, trying to figure out what subscription that charge was from. And if you've got two or three subscriptions, that's probably not too bad, right? You can walk through them and you can see where the invoice is. If you've also got Office 365 in the mix, rest in peace, bro, because you are never going to find the invoice for that. And if you've got 20 or 30 subscriptions for various reasons, right? there's, There's plenty of reasons why you might have that many. Plus Office 365 subscriptions for development, test, production stuff, the whole lot. Trying to figure out where that $1.80 charge that's on your credit card or $5,000 charge on your credit card, doesn't matter which subscription that came from, whether it's Office 365 or Azure, is a mind-numbingly awful task. And um, I hope you don't have to deal with it. Uh, yeah, I've heard, I've awful. seen I've seen your pain of being a development manager and running a startup that where you had a bunch of, where you had a bunch of them, a bunch of subscriptions. I saw how hard oh, it was. I mean, super painful. I'm, Dude, I'm a company of one and I've got, I have five subscriptions and it's not a nightmare to deal with, but it's enough of a challenge that I can see that if I had a bunch of developers working for me and I was building a a product on a platform that just managing, it's almost like, it's almost like running a factory and having, and having somebody that's just in charge of the supply chain and the billings and the invoices and shipments coming in and stuff that was just somebody who was involved in procurement. For that stuff, you almost need it now for like the, for for the cloud space. I don't yeah, think and you I know, should need it, but I know like, that. But it's like you do you do need it. If you have an enterprise agreement, or you buy through CSP or whatnot, it can be a bit different because you know you're bulk buying and all of that stuff and consolidation of those things. But if you're not, it's a real nightmare. But there's no. I've had to log support tickets with Azure to have them work out where a particular charge on my credit card came from in the past. It's a nightmare. There's no consolidated billing if you don't buy outside of an EA, you know? Yeah. Or CSP. Anyway, that's also another gripe of mine. And I'd love to see the state of that change in Azure. That's a pretty good one. Those are my naggy bits. The portal management, sorry, portal, subscription management, and local dev to cloud first dev model stuff. And mine was around startups and around missing the opportunity for consumption is the big piece, but... Yeah, for sure. Cool. All right, AC. Overall, any parting thoughts before we move on? Yeah, I was going to ask you overall what you would say with it. I, I mean, I'm giving Azure two thumbs up. I'm, I'm a very, as a developer, I'm a very happy customer. There's very little that I find that I'm, I'm lacking, or that I would want. There's just stuff that's like, hey, it's, it's like wish list style stuff. It's not like dissatisfied customer style stuff. So, I don't know. Two thumbs up. Five out of five stars. I give it. I'm going to give it four, just because I don't give things five stars unless I think that they are just. I'm super incredibly happy with those things. Yeah, but yeah, four out of five stars, two thumbs up. I feel a similar kind of way. I feel like I'm not lacking for anything. I've got everything I need, and Azure as a as a tool set as a developer, and 
I'm happy to build whatever kind. I, can, I know I can build whatever app I want to using the on the Azure stack, um, not the product. You know what I mean? In the Azure <laughs> yeah. portfolio, and they're doing a really good job of it. They're absolutely crushing it in the market. You know, there's no no nothing to suggest commercially they're not absolutely nailing it. So I think they're they're really doing a bang up job. I, I think the room room for improvement is you know small bits where they could really excel and really push the industry forward on like around that dev to cloud stuff. Uh, I'd love to see them do more of that. And new types of services for the future that we haven't seen yet, right? I think Cosmos was a really good example of the beginning of a service kind of like that, changing the game a little bit. So yeah, I would absolutely give them four out of five stars for sure. Cosmos, ACI, the container instances, that was huge. The cloud, the Kubernetes as a service. I mean, those things were, those things were like game changers. Yeah. And seeing them come out with those services. So definitely. Cool. Radio. Well, that said, how about we wrap this up and go talk about our picks real quick? I love the idea. Let's do some picks. ACs Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in its course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. All right, AC, what have you got for us this week? Do you like Halo? I have played quite a lot of Halo in my life, yes. Then you're going to like this. There is a guy who has spent the last year making a stop-action Halo movie. It's all like figurines, Lego, special effects. He's done a fantastic job with this. And I found this link on Reddit. Um, It's in the the Xbox One subreddit. It's a Halo stop-action film that he's been shooting over the last couple months. It's 95% practical effects, apart from some sparks, some rig removal, and blood. Wow. It is about, about four and a half minutes long. And it's totally worth going and checking out. He's done a really good job with this. 9,500 upvotes, and it was just posted in the last seven days. That's so, amazing. Some people yeah. are so dedicated to their passion and, and doing projects like this. Like It's, a, it's amazing. If this it, is what I love about the world that we're in today. This is like, if this guy was a kid and he was going to go get a job somewhere at some studio or some, he was trying to get a job, like trying to go get a, get a uh, apply to a, the film industry to go get a get accepted to some college. This kind of a thing right here, being able to put this together, throwing it up on Reddit or throwing it up on YouTube, you know, make that as part of his portfolio and part of his work. That stuff wasn't available, I think, to people like you and me when we were when we yeah. were younger, like in high school. And I think that's what's so cool about this world and seeing this. Yeah, that's amazing. So good on him. How about you? What you got for us this week? I got a bit of an odd one. I am linking to a friend of mine's Instagram. He's called, well, his Instagram page is called There and Buck Again. His name is Chris Borton, but his nickname is Buck. And so that's why There and Buck Again is a is a sort of, I guess, obviously his name's involved, but it's also a link back to The Hobbit, right? And Lord of the Rings. And he is walking the entire length of New Zealand. He's taking quite a few months to do it, but his Instagram is full of absolutely beautiful pictures of different parts. He's currently in the South Island of New Zealand and um, full of beautiful pictures of New Zealand scenery, mostly of the South Island at the moment and um, and what he's up to on his walk. So um, I just thought I'd give him a bit of a shout out. If you're interested in seeing some glorious photos from the motherland, then um, or my motherland, I should say, then, uh, then go check out There and Buck again. The walk, 
there is a walk. He's doing, he's not making up the path as he goes, right? This is a planned, planned route. It usually would, you know, if you're planning to do this, it would take about four months. It's about 3,000 kilometers. I don't know how many miles that is, but it's a fair number. Um, you're walking through mountains, plains, deserts, snow-capped peaks, the whole lot, right? So it's, you get everything. And the, the walk is called Tiara. That's its Maori name and it stands for the long pathway, right? So you basically walk from tip to tail the entire length of New Zealand from the very top of the North Island to the very bottom of the South Island. Or I think he's doing it, he started at the top of the South Island, is walking to the bottom of the South Island and then is going to do the North Island. So um, you can break it up, but it's a it's an amazing walk. And it's actually kind of popular to do. There's, there's quite a few people that do this, tourists as well, that will, will spend months walking the entire length of the country. This is really neat. I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to follow this. Yeah. He's a really nice guy. He's been a friend of, friend of mine for years and is on a bit of, you know, he's on his mission, right? He's on his like, I got to do this. This is an epic journey in life that I want to do. Oh my God. Well, I mean, just having this as an experience. I mean, looking back at it, this is so cool. Amazing, huh? Yeah. An epic journey. So that's my pick. That's a great pick. Good pick, CJ. All right, AC, let's wrap this puppy up. And we're going to talk about the state of uh, Microsoft 365 next week. And uh, we'll catch you then. Sounds good to me. Hopefully I'll be in one piece after skiing. Uh, Yeah, hopefully (laughs) one piece. Well, hopefully one piece and walking around like you are right now without the need of assistive Assistive help. Yeah, Yeah. we'll see. (laughs) I feel like I'm going to be pretty sore. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that sore is fine. It's just, yeah, no hospitals involved. Ideally, yes. Yeah, cool. All right, have a good one. Yeah, man, you too. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in your favorite podcast app. It helps people find out about our show and grow our audience, and we'd really appreciate it. If you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com forward slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or MP3 and provide us a link so we can play it on the show. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to microsoftcloudshow.com, where you'll get notices of each episode, as well as the show notes sent to you directly each week. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.